This is Pandemic Buzz, a place where resilience practitioners gather to listen to insights from crisis management, business continuity, and crisis communications professionals. I'm your host, Devin Sermenis, a managing director at Widow Bryant's, a firm solely dedicated to supporting clients to prepare, respond, and recover from devastating events. Throughout this series, you'll hear from subject matter experts from a variety of industries and geographies. The intent is to share insights and best practices that you can adopt during these unusual times, or at the very minimum, some human elements that will further connect us as we adapt to new routines both at work and at home. Good afternoon, Dustin. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm very well, thanks. Great. For our listeners, can you please uh, introduce yourself, your title, and kind of your company and corporate responsibilities? Yeah, my name is Dustin Eno, and I'm the COO and Crisis Response Manager at Navigate Response, based here in London in the UK. And Navigate Response is a company that specializes in providing crisis communications and media management support. So that really means we deal with the bad news. We're not a corporate communications firm or a PR agency that's trying to get our clients' attention. Rather, we're trying to help them to deal with those challenging situations where something's gone wrong and they need to help manage the media fallout associated with that. And my role really is to oversee our global network. Uh, So we have people in 29 countries around the world. And so I oversee that global network and uh, the operations of our uh, media response teams. Perfect. So under the pandemic scenario, we find ourselves living and working in today. How's your company sustaining operations? Meaning what business continuity strategies have you invoked in terms of work from home, shift capacity to other offices? And do you have different strategies at your corporate headquarters compared to all the regional offices in your global network? In some ways, we're very lucky as a company because we're so used to working on scene, uh, traveling to the location of incidents, uh, dealing from clients' offices. And so we're very used to working remotely. We're well set up with uh, telephone switchboards uh, and uh, all of our files are backed up in the cloud. So it's been a very easy transition for us to be able to migrate from working in the office to working from home. And that's what all of our teams are doing at the moment. It's been an interesting challenge to keep on top of what's happening in different parts of the world. Obviously, every country has its own guidance and uh, therefore our teams are working in, in varying degrees of lockdown at the moment. But what we found uh, is simply using those tools that we have in place for working on the road, now working from home, uh, has allowed us to make that transition really quite smoothly. Oh, that's great. So you're kind of ahead of the game because the, the network and the system and, the, and your working practices already lent itself towards a work from home environment ahead of the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think we're really lucky that way. And I think uh, that's something we've seen for a lot of companies in the maritime space, just because we are so used to having to work on the road. We're set up uh, to to do that work without having to go into an office. Okay. What's next is possibly more important than what's now. So with whom do you work and how do you determine what's next? So you're not always kind of responding to what now. So it's moving from a reactive to kind of that, that proactive posture. Yeah, there's a few parts to that for us. Uh, So so one of them is obviously sort of anticipating what's the media going to do. Uh, Obviously, we work on behalf of our clients, but we're there to help them to deal with the media. And at the moment, journalists and most of the major news outlets around the world are completely preoccupied with COVID-19. 
Uh, we had a, an incident just last week that should have been quite a major news story in France and only attracted two small uh, articles in, in, a, in local papers, and that was it. Uh, at some point, we know that that's going to shift. At some point, that's going to change. And when it does, uh, there's likely to be sort of a swing back. There's a, there's a saturation point that gets reached and people suddenly go, we're going to cover something different, anything other than COVID-19. And if one of our clients is sort of caught at exactly that moment, we need to be able to help them deal with a lot more media attention than perhaps the nature of the incident would have otherwise justified. So that's one part of it for us. And that's really just about anticipating that and making sure we have the capacity in place to deal with that sudden shift. We don't get lulled into a false sense of complacency. But I think the other part for us is just making sure that we're able to hit the ground running again when uh, when things do return to normal. And whether that's in a couple of weeks or whether that's in a few months or, or longer, we want to make sure that there isn't sort of a, a delay that uh, we are immediately able to get back out on the road and back out providing the services in terms of training and preparation that our clients count on from us. Excellent. During times like these, who are the best people to surround yourself with? And this can be, you know, technically or personality wise. Uh, so from a leadership, uh, how you interact from a leadership team and personalities, you know, where, where are you uh, picking strengths from? The first word that comes to mind is adaptable. Uh, you need someone who's comfortable working under changing environments. And, and again, thankfully, that's something we have in our team just through the nature of what we do. Those are the people we, we have on our team. But we also need people who are creative, who are, who are able to, to see the silver linings, to see the new opportunities in this new way of working. People who are technologically comfortable, and that is something we've had a couple challenges with. Uh, as much as our teams are prepared and used to working remotely, we're now having to use different systems and different remote functionalities and just making sure that our teams are able to, to cope with those IT issues. And finally, I think it's really important to, to maintain a human side, to, to make sure things stay a little light. Obviously, it's a serious situation, but we can't be all focused on seriousness all the time. One of our company directors uh, this morning has introduced a, a, daily, a daily task, as he's calling it, but every day he assigns uh, a new thing that we're going to do. So today was we all had to tell a knock-knock joke. Tomorrow, we're all going to wear a funny hat. And it takes a couple minutes on a morning call to check in, but it's just a good way to keep things a little lighter uh, and, and keep that social connection going. And I think that's really important. Yeah, I think those are good strategies because what I'm hearing is it's twofold. One, it lets you uh, stray from what your mind is occupied on all the coronavirus and COVID-19 uh, data and discussions and planning. And then two, it allows you to connect uh, to others that, you know, may be feeling the same way, but, you know, not seeing it until the group gets together on a, on a virtual mechanism. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes it's easy to, to lose that, uh, that empathy when you're talking remotely that would be so natural if you were in person, that, that distance of the, of the computer screen can make it harder to connect person to person. Yeah, it's almost like the the working from home challenge isn't social distancing. It's almost social isolation is uh, what needs to be um, attacked or overcome at this point. Completely. Yeah. What changes have you made to uh, HR or corporate policies to really care for your staff as the pandemic stretches out? Have you have you tweaked anything significantly? 
Just minor tweaks, really. Uh, we've gone to a much more formalized approach of, of checking in. Uh, we've always worked as a close-knit team, but we now have formalized uh, check-ins every single day, which is something we haven't had in the past, but we've found is important. Uh, and we've also added in some additional flexibility. Obviously, everyone's working from home, but uh, in terms of core hours, uh, normal hours that we would expect people to work, a lot of people are dealing with uh, childcare or, or care for parents, this sort of mm-hmm. thing. And just allowing them the flexibility to perhaps start their day a little bit early, then take a bit of time off midday and finish up a little later. This sort of flexibility has been important for a number of our team members. Yeah, the world uh, you know, is not all work, particularly in a crisis like this. And you've touched a little bit on that in terms of caring for the team, shifting the hours, uh, letting them work uh, where needed, depending on their personal situation. But what should we be doing to take care of ourselves during this time? Like, What are you doing to... to to adjust your routine for your own personal well-being? Take time to separate myself from the computer screen. In, in our modern world, it's easy to roll from work into, you know, FaceTiming with friends, catching up on social media, and then end the day by watching Netflix. And without realizing it, you've spent 16, 18 hours in front of a computer screen. So building in time to do things that are not IT related, I think, is important. And for me, that, that's been exercise, making sure I get outside if possible, or just do exercise in, 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 the, in, the, in the kitchen or, or living room, making that time to do something physical. And I think also trying to do things that feel a little normal. So I love cooking. And so one of the things I've made a point of is every evening I carve out the time to, to cook a nice meal, sit down and you know have a proper meal, have a glass of wine, make it feel like a bit of an occasion. Even if we can't go out for a meal, can't go out with friends, at least we can be doing something that feels like an occasion, feels like a break from the, from the lockdown at home. Yeah. As you look at uh, the dot-com crash and you look at 2008, and let's say your best possible revenue strategies reside in organic growth, what are you doing to best take care of your client base, your customers? Our customers are obviously central to to everything we do, and so they have to be our first priority. And I think for us, there's really been three prongs to that. Number one, of course, is ensuring that we're maintaining the service our clients depend on from us. And largely, that's been relatively straightforward. Again, we were able to make the transition to home working easy. But there has been some challenges. So, So one of the things that they count on from us is media training and and drills and exercises. And that's almost always delivered in person at their offices. And obviously that's something we're not able to do at the moment. So being able to find ways to provide that support remotely. So we're introducing some e-learning solutions. We're making use of webinar training platforms, uh, doing things to make sure we're continuing to deliver that service. I think it's also about having regular contact. And one of the things I've noticed is as people are working from home, they are feeling isolated. And so the opportunity there to, to call people who are normally too busy to, to want to chat long, suddenly they actually welcome that call. And so one of the things our team's done this week is done a phone round to all of our clients uh, and not just used email communications, but actually taken the time to phone and, and talk to everyone. Uh, and there's, that's a huge time commitment for our team, but I think it's really, really important. Yeah, and you're talking just connecting and, and sustaining those relationships. Uh, and we're, we're looking at, you know, pitching new business is part of growing and, and, and building momentum as a, as a company. 
but it's almost basically unacceptable at this point or not really being responded to. So what are some other ways you guys are approaching growing the business uh, in these times? So we've always found that the best way to grow the business is to provide a great service to existing customers. And then that word of mouth is, is our best selling feature. So we're continuing that, obviously. But I think the, the other part of it is making sure that whatever we're doing that might be considered business development is actually adding value. It's not a marketing about, look how great we are. It's actually telling people about how they can be communicating in these challenging situations, what some of the issues they need to look out for are. And I think there's actually a real opportunity here. As much as there is a challenge for direct, pure business development, there's actually a great opportunity for, for more marketing initiatives. Things like webinars that would normally struggle to get a large audience are suddenly attracting huge audiences because people have the time and they're interested. And in an interesting way, it can be far more efficient for a marketing budget. If you were to hold a physical event here in London, you might attract, I don't know, 50 people and you'd spend you know, several thousand pounds putting that on. If we run a webinar, we can have a global reach. We can attract hundreds of people and the budgets for that are actually going to be much smaller. So as much as there are challenges for business development, there are also some, some opportunities to create those connections that might have been really difficult to create in, in another situation. Right. And we're finding the same thing. I think the, the interest in that expertise that you provide is still there and the knowledge sharing is still desired. It's just taking slightly different forms now and the ability for us to kind of push out that knowledge and share that information and expertise, um, the, the time and just the timelines now being shifted allows us to do that in a more robust fashion. Absolutely. And for us, the other part of that has been to, to not to ignore the leads that were already in process. So it's not a good time to go out and make a cold contact with someone, but proposals that are already in the field, we're finding this is actually a good time to maintain that relationship and almost start treating them as clients already. So even though they haven't actually signed up with us, give them that, that support, give them that contact time that we're giving to our clients and just demonstrate what it is like to work with us. Uh, and we've found that that's been well received. So if you look back at recent history across these types of crises, what types of corporate personality or behaviors are remembered? Uh, who are the companies and what do they do that no one else thought of doing? One example comes to mind, I was reading earlier this week, uh, you know, Tesla and some other companies are really trying to turn their manufacturing uh, powers to helping uh, build respirators and things of that nature. What are some other things that you're seeing out there that are inspiring to you? I think it's interesting that you mentioned Tesla. And I think there's, there's a, a lesson there in the sense that in times of crisis, people tend to gravitate to strong personalities. So I think identifying people within within any company who have a, have a personality in the same way that Elon Musk is a very strong personality, that can play well. It can also play badly, but it can play well. And I think it's worth capitalizing on those strengths if people have them within their teams. Um, one of the things I saw here in the UK was uh, that Amazon has effectively volunteered to distribute uh, coronavirus testing equipment and tests uh, basically showcasing what a great logistics network they have. It's effectively good advertising for Amazon, but it's also hugely supportive and, and very helpful to the ongoing effort. 
And I think any company that seemed to be stepping up, treating their employees well and, and, and pitching in with the response is going to be seen positively. I think the real effort is to make sure that you, that any company avoids being seen in the negative. Uh, and and mm-hmm. a week or so ago here, there were big headlines that Sports Direct, which is a, a sports equipment retail store, had declared itself to be an essential service that people needed workout equipment so they weren't going to close. And there was a profound backlash to that. Obviously, people said that this was ridiculous, that this was endangering the lives of their employees, people who might visit their shops, etc. So I think it's about measuring the tone of a situation and knowing when to uh, when to engage and when to say, no, even if we think we're essential, clearly we're not, and, and, and avoiding making those false steps. Yeah, and I think as uh, practitioners that study and always look at leadership in crisis, you know, the, my takeaway has been uh, there will be companies that will be remembered and it's not the messaging and brands that they're kind of projecting. It's how, how they're making society feel and how they're engaging with it is going to be uh, what what divides those that rose to the top and those that just uh, remained in the middle somewhere. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. If the situation goes worst case, what do you wish your company would have done? I think that's a really interesting question. Um, and, and it's so interesting to try and think about what worst case could look like. But some things that spring to mind for me, I think we could be better equipped to uh, to deliver stuff from home in a more professional way. So obviously we all have webcams, but we could have invested a little bit more in having some more uh, sophisticated audiovisual equipment so that when we are delivering these sorts of webinars or remote conferences, we can do so to a higher standard. And I think also, as, as I mentioned earlier, there have been a few small IT challenges for some of our team members and I think uh, uh, investing a little bit more in some training, some IT training for some of our team members in advance might have uh, smoothed the process in a few areas. Right. Good. So last last question, and I think this is good just to share in terms of, of general situational awareness. What sources from social, traditional media, personal networks, et cetera, are providing the most useful updates to you at this time as you build out your company's strategy? for managing the the pandemic going forward? For us, it's talking to clients. Uh, As much as, you know, I framed my answer to the question earlier about it being clients, maintenance, client service, those conversations with clients are just as valuable for us. We get so much information in terms of what's happening, what people are concerned about, what they're thinking about, and and taking the time to have those calls is, is, is definitely the best investment of time I think our teams can make. We are also making use of, you know, the trade press, uh, the general press, uh, more so on the uh, sort of the more analysis side of things, less the breaking news and more the the longer form feature pieces. Personally, I'm a huge fan of The Economist, and I think they've been doing a great job with their coverage. Social media is is a dangerous one. And because I work in crisis communications, I have to, of course, pay attention to social media but I've found it a fairly poor uh, channel for actual information. Uh, it's a good metric for me to have some sense of what the sentiment is, what people are thinking about in certain ways. But uh, I think there'll be many studies in the future looking back at uh, just how poor the information was on social media in many cases 
and how often rumors started and, and ran a long ways before, uh, before being correctly correct, uh, squashed. Right. And then maybe therein lies an opportunity to make the next version of all social media platforms that much stronger. Yeah. I mean, and that gets us onto a whole bigger topic. Um, <laughs> you know, how, how do you manage that balance between freedom of expression, uh, freedom of speech, which is so important in any free society, while also filtering to make sure that uh, the voice of an expert is given more credibility than the voice of, you know, someone sat on their kitchen couch, you know, having a laugh. Those two mm-hmm. should not be given the same platform. And yet too often in social media, they are. Right. The, the, uh, the pseudo expert and the, uh, instapundent kind of movement. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Something we deal with all the time in, in all the incidents we deal with for clients. There's always someone who knows, and I put knows in quotes, exactly what's happened from the first moment. And of course they're almost always wrong, but if they say it in a sufficiently inflammatory way, and if they, uh, if they manage to tag the right people, they can get a huge amount of attention. And, and our job really is to make sure that our version of the events, which is based on facts, is, is based on the actual information, comes out on top of those sorts of pundits, uh, the insta-pundits, as you called them. Uh, sometimes easier said than done, but something we're always working on. <laughs> right. Good communications advice. Well, Dustin, I want to thank you for your time. Thanks for carving out uh, some time during your day and afternoon. I know we're all busy, uh, but I think the the tips and advice and insights you shared are, are going to be very welcomed uh, and prove very useful to people as they adopt them to their own current environment. My pleasure. And thanks very much for this great initiative. I think it's great to have this sort of information uh, and, and have these sorts of discussions. We can all learn so much from each other in these times. Fantastic. Thanks again, Dustin. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to Pandemic Buzz. Please like and share this podcast with your colleagues and be sure to catch our next episode. 